Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Psalm 109, to the choir master, a psalm of David. Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In my return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food from far, from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat, may it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken in within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. 
Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Well, thankfully, Tara already read the text for us this morning. It's a long psalm, and it's a difficult psalm. Uh, This particular psalm that we're studying today is called an imprecatory psalm, or a psalm of cursing, which doesn't sound happy and joyous, and (laughs) it's not. But in the end, there is joy to be found in it. And we're going to see where that takes us this morning. As I already mentioned, there's some papers up on the front. If you want to take those with you, just a breakdown of the Psalms. What it is that we're studying over the course of these seven weeks that we are in the Psalms together. And today, specifically, we're in book number five of the Psalms. And that is worshiping God by obeying His law. We're going to see that come out very strongly in the Psalms today. Now, notice it's not... Seeking salvation by obeying the law, as Pastor Tom read this morning, it's worshiping by obeying the law. And this is what David's desiring, not just for himself, but for others. And yet we're going to see that some of his language is conflicting. So Psalm 109. There's a lot of hate in our world. We could look around us and we could say that um, there are acts of terror all around the world that happen because of hate. There are personal attacks that happen because of hate. Even over the last several months here in Hermanus, we have seen some probably good and righteous anger, and we have probably seen some hateful anger as well. And unfortunately, all of these things are always mixed together because we live in a broken and a fallen world. But one of the reasons why we read a psalm like 109 is because we as Christians have questions that we need to ask ourselves. For instance, what do we do with hate? Okay, now you might be someone that is very kind and doesn't hate. That's that's actually almost completely possible. But if you're anything like me, um, I get angry about a lot of things. When I'm excited, I show it probably by looking angry, okay? I I look angry a lot of the time. When I'm driving down the road and someone cuts me off, I start saying the things that David said here. May his father be, may his children be fatherless. May his his wife be a widow. Now that's not right, okay? Um, This psalm is not about personal vengeance on someone for a slight against you, right? Uh, This is about something much bigger. 
Um, let's, let's look at how this psalm is broken down. Uh, verses 1 through 5. We're not going to necessarily look at it like this, but just so you get an idea of what's happening. We, we have the situation as the psalmist sees it. We have the situation as the psalmist sees it. Be not silent, O God of my praise. He worships God, and yet it seems as though in this situation, God is silent. And what is this situation? For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate. They attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Here's the situation. There are other psalms like Psalm 69 where the psalmist admits he is not free from guilt. But in this particular situation, he's free from guilt. And someone is accusing him, abusing him. And this is his argument before the Lord. And verses 6 through 20, we, we literally have the psalmist saying, God, go get him. Go do what you should do. Act justly. I'm being treated unjustly. Show your justice to this person. Don't show them mercy. Don't hold back. If it takes, like with Job, to, take, to allow Satan to rain down all of his powers on this person, so be it. Just do it. This is what the psalmist is saying to us. This is what David is saying to us. And then in verses 21 through 29, but Lord, deliver me. Let all of this awful things, all these awful things happen to this man, but deliver me, save me. And then lastly, we see him thanking God. We see him thanking God in the last two verses. With my mouth, I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng. For he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Christian, in a world of hate, what do you do with your hate? A very good Christian thing to do would be to get a little bottle (laughs) and shove it all in there and keep it and hide it and only let it come out when absolutely necessary, right? We see this in our community all the time. Um, in fact, I get to, I feel like for whatever reason, I see this more often than a lot of people do. Uh, but you just will randomly see someone get upset for a small thing. The credit card machine isn't working at the shop. And next thing you know, the person is being belligerent, yelling and screaming saying things about the cashier, saying things about the manager, saying things about the business, and then storming out. Right? There's something deeper going on there than a credit card machine not working. 
This is what so many of us do, and this is so often what you and I do. We bottle up all of our hate, and we don't let it out for anything. But the psalmist is showing us here a different way of dealing with that hate. Here's what we want to look at, just to begin with. We don't know who the accuser, the abuser is in this situation, but we can pick up a couple clues about the ways that this abuser, this accuser, is wronging David. Uh, They are, or he is, a liar to begin with. And now that seems like something small, right? (laughs) Just a little lie. But Whatever it is, it's big enough to the point to where David, as someone that serves God, is feeling not just condemned himself, but feels as though God is being accused in the process. That this person is not only condemning him and accusing him and abusing him, but he is abusing the Lord's name and accusing the Lord. And showing that God is unfaithful instead of truly faithful as he is. We see that this abuser is evil. What do we mean by evil? Now we'll get there in just a minute. This abuser is not deserving of God's care. Which is interesting, right? Because we talk like this all the time, maybe in false humility or in true humility, that we do not deserve the grace of God and yet we have received it. And David knows this full well. David knows that he does not deserve God's grace and his care. And yet he did. So why would David say words like this? I'm going to keep asking that question. We are going to come to a conclusion on it, okay? By evil, we mean that this person or these people, they are unjust. They are merciless. They tread on the poor and the needy and the downtrodden. And just as they have not shown, just as David hopes that they are not shown care, this accuser does not show care, shows no mercy. This person is a murderer. This person is actively forsaking the blessings of God. This person hopes and works for the bad of others, not for their good. This person is unrepentant, and so it should go without saying that this person is foolish and is proud. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that list and I think to myself, you're right, David. Something should happen to that person. This cannot continue. Let's see how the psalmist describes himself throughout the text. The accused, the abused, David himself here is wrongly accused, he is trapped. He feels pinned in. 
And I'm sure that we've all felt like this at one point or another, right? Perhaps in a job, your employer does not treat you well, and yet they hold your employment over your head like a little carrot, right? And you feel trapped. Do I keep accepting a paycheck, or do I walk away and have no paycheck? The psalmist is humbly submitting himself to God. In verse 4, he says, In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So, we could ask ourselves, is this really a Christian prayer? Is this the kind of prayer that we want to be praying? This is a prayer. That doesn't sound very deep because it's not, but what do you do when you are feeling hateful? When you're feeling vengeful? Do you take that to God? Or do you get cranky with people? Do you get cranky with yourself and with others? Do you refuse to show love in the way that you have not been loved or cared for? David takes it to the Lord in prayer. The psalmist has responded well. He has shown love, and yet he has received hate. And he's angry. And we saw this in the text, but there's so many things that the psalmist goes through, and I'm just going to kind of reword them a little bit. Um, give a rundown of everything that he's saying. Starting in verse 6, we see the psalmist say that he wants someone to come and stand beside the accuser, the abuser. Now, who does David ask to come and stand beside him? The Lord, right? He wants the Lord to be standing beside him. But he wants someone else in verse 6 to be standing beside this accuser. Appoint a wicked man to do it. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Lord, let there be no justice in his situation. Let there be no mercy. Let them be found guilty. And if they try to do any good, like going to the Lord in prayer, let it be sin. I don't even want you to hear them, God. Cut them down. Make sure that his children are orphans, that his wife has no husband, that his children and his wife have no provider, that their estate is barren. May the bank take everything back that they've lended out to them. May strangers have the first fruit of their land instead of the children. Let no one show mercy in any way. Make sure his family doesn't grow, that his name doesn't continue. May his father's sins may not be forgotten, and may them be passed down to the next generation. Oh, and by the way, Lord, even though the father's the head of the household, even the mother, make sure that you remember all of her sins too. May God's righteousness never end. And may the world forget everything about this person. 
And then verses 16 and 25, what was this person doing? He, he tortured those that deserved justice. He cursed. So God, please, let him be cursed. He did not bless. God, please, hold back blessing from them. Let him become what he loved. Let him become a curse. God, may this be what happens. Let it happen. Let your steadfast love not serve the accuser, but serve your name. And then in 20 through 25, the psalmist goes on to say that he was poor and needy, that he was broken down and mocked and ignored. He was a shadow of who he was made to be. He was dying standing up. God, rescue him. Okay, lots of hard words from David. Is he just venting here? Is he just angry? And he's going to God and he's saying, Oh God, this person. Oh, they're so awful. Just let bad things happen to them. I, don't, I just don't even have enough words to share with you. No, I don't think so. In many ways, what David's doing here is, is wrong. It is wrong. When he's asking that someone's children become fatherless and no one take care of them, um, this is breaking commandments. This is breaking law. If that were to happen, David would be somewhat responsible for breaking the law of God. David knows his role. His role is to come alongside widows and orphans in their time of need. And yet, he wants that to not happen. We see that David wants all of his land to be taken away and for his family never to grow and for none of that land to be ever given back. Wait a second. Last week we talked about the year of Jubilee when in the nation of Israel everything should go back and families should be rebuilt and David doesn't want that to happen for this person. In Psalm 139, David says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. David knows how to repent of his sin, doesn't he? We see that in Psalm 51. We see the beginning of that there in Psalm 139. He goes to the Lord. He tells the Lord to search him. To find out any unrighteousness in him. And for God to lead him into the way everlasting. In many ways, I think what David is doing here is he's repenting. (laughs) As strange as it might sound. This hate, this anger that he has inside of him, he cannot keep bottled up. Nor should he. And he doesn't need to be like someone that just lets the cap off the bottle every once in a while to to vent and to steam a little bit. He's taking it all before the Lord. And in a very similar way as he does in Psalm 139, he's saying, Lord, search me. Find any grievous way in me. And lead me to the way of righteousness, the way everlasting.
The psalmist continues, David continues, and hopes that the guilt of sin will weigh down his enemy so that he will never be able to forget it. That he will realize his need. Uh, David realizes his need, rather, and he is openly mocked and dying. Now, this is dramatic language. This is dramatic language. This is a prayer. This is a song. And uh, many commentators say that for a Jew or really any traditional culture, unless you're expressing an emotion to the extreme, no one's going to believe you that the emotion is real. I do this sometimes. Tara calls me dramatic, okay? (laughs) She calls me dramatic. I would say the same thing about David here. He's being a bit dramatic. David is a man after God's own heart. He doesn't want God's law to be broken. Uh, when, uh, When he says then in verse 20 through 25, um... Rather, sorry. I've lost it. That's okay. Um, when he says that he's, he's become gaunt, that there's no fat, that he's been fasting so much for God to right this wrong, he says that his heart is stricken. Uh, that could also be translated, his heart is stabbed or shot through with an arrow. This is very dramatic language that David is using. But let's see what is said of God in this passage. We're going to view God as the deliverer, the protector, and the just one now. In verse 1, we see that God speaks justly, justly rather, and righteously. That God has control. David knows this, or else he would not go to God and say, God, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. We cannot forget that David's a murderer. He killed a man just to steal his wife. Why would he not kill this man or these people? Why is he taking his hate to God, his anger to God, instead of ending that person's life? I think there's a good reason, because he knows that God is in control. We see in verse 21 and in verses 1 through 5 that God's name is at stake. His reputation in the world is at stake. We see that God is good. David knows that God saves. And he's even kind of afraid that God will save his enemy. And God stands for and protects His people. Is this a Christian prayer? We could go to Matthew chapter 23, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but there's seven or eight woes, I can't remember now. But Jesus speaks against the scribes and the Pharisees. Really, people that are impugning the name of God by denying Christ. But woe to you, this is 
verses 13 to 15. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make one single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to the scribes and Pharisees. Curse the scribes and Pharisees, because they've made the doorway to heaven so small that no one's getting in, and their heads are too big to let them go in. Interestingly enough, this psalm is also quoted in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 20. But if you read 15 through 20, this is when there's a new disciple being chosen, a 12th disciple. Um, And the apostles at this point now, they view this psalm as a prophetic psalm. And they view Judas being out and dying And his office being taken by another, as the psalmist says here, as a fulfillment of prophecy. In a way, that makes this psalm very (laughs) Jesus-centered. Because we also see um, in Matthew and in Mark, we see similar Curses, if you will, spoken against the ones who betray Christ from the lips of Christ. We would say Judas for sure. And Acts chapter 1 verse 20 shows us that. But also Pilate and also the religious leaders of his time. This deliverer, the protector, the just one. Here's the good news. He became a curse for us. In Galatians 3.13, which Pastor Tom already read for us today. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. These curses that David is speaking out, Christ becomes those curses on our behalf. When we read a psalm like this, a psalm filled with rage, filled with anger, filled with fear, And the psalmist takes things to God. This is not venting. This is coming before the Lord and realizing that we are in great need. That we are broken and that the world around us is broken. So what are we supposed to do with this? 
Christian, you can pray a prayer like this. You can pray a prayer like this. (laughs) Kind of. In a sense, we need to. It's not healthy for if someone wrongs me to go home at night and say, Ah, Tara, you'll never believe what this person did. Blah, 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 blah. May his, may his children be fatherless, right? This is not the right time, the right place, or the right person to take this to. And I don't take it to myself, where vengeance builds up and anger builds up. But I take it to the Lord. Knowing not only that when it seems like I am being cursed... And I want to throw that cursing back out at someone else. There is one that has become a curse for me. What does this tell us about prayer? You've probably realized by now that a lot of Sundays I actually write a prayer for Sunday morning. Because I do, I get excited about things, okay? okay? I get excited and I lose track of my thoughts And I need to, on Saturday night, sit down for an extended period of time and be praying over the word that I get to preach. And in the midst of that comes a prayer that I write down. Okay, That's a good, well-ordered prayer. I like it. I like neatness. It makes sense. And yet, it's okay for our prayers to be messy. It's okay for David to pray all of this prayer then at the very end to say, With my mouth, I will give great thanks to you, Lord. Because he knows that he is the needy one. And he needs salvation. And that is the same for you and for I. What does this psalm affirm or confess to us about who God is? We're just going to look at a couple of the verses that we've already covered real quick. So that, um, not just when we're going to the Lord and saying, Lord, lead me down your path like we did in Psalm 1. And not just psalms of thanksgiving and praise, which we are going to be covering throughout the next five weeks. But when we have a prayer that is full of confusion and fear, and maybe even hate, What can we affirm about God? What can we say is true about God in those situations? The first of which is in in verse 1 we saw, Be not silent, O God of my praise. God is worthy of our praise. And Christian, we know for a fact that He will not be silent. He sent His Son as the Word to us. God has not been silent in your fear, and in your confusion. In verse 8, which is quoted in Acts 1.20, we see that God is faithful to His promises. It's kind of a twisted and negative way of looking at it in this verse, but that is true. The New Testament writers see this as a prophecy that is fulfilled in Judas. God is faithful to the promises that he makes. Verse 16, For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. Why would David bring up all the sins of his accuser? 
Because he knows what God's character is like. And he knows that God cares about showing kindness, showing mercy, about the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. God cares about these people. He cares about you and about me in our times of need. He loved to curse. Let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing. May it be far from him. God delights in blessing us and he wants us to delight in the blessings that he gives to us. So it's not just about changing your attitude when you're feeling trapped in by these emotions and by these feelings and by things that are happening in your life. It's not just about saying, okay, bad things happen today, but good things are going to happen tomorrow. No, it's about remembering the good things that God has already done for you and the promises of the good things that he is going to continue doing for you. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your your steadfast love is good, deliver me. Christian, we can say a lot of things out of this. God has delivered you. He has delivered you through his son, Jesus, who became the curse for you. David wanted his accuser to be weighed down by his sins, to wear it as a belt, as a harness, as a necklace that drug him to the ground. And what did Jesus do on our behalf? He let the sins of the world go upon his shoulders and weigh him down on a cross. The steadfast love, we know this phrase from studying Ruth together, chesed. It's a stubborn love, it's a never failing, never giving up, always and forever love. This is our God. That God cares about His name. He cares about His reputation. And He will act justly. That the Lord will save us by His own hand, and He has done it. And lastly, let us just affirm together that we should give God praise for all that He does for us as the psalmist has done and promises to do. This morning, if you know Christ as your Savior, you do not need to fear the kind of judgment that you deserve. You do not need to fear the kind of judgment that David was calling down on his abuser. You do not need to fear the wrath of an accuser or an abuser. And you do not need to fear the wrath of God. You do not need to fear the curse of death. And you do not need to fear that someone could take your life. Because your life belongs to someone else. You do not need to fear about injustice in this world because you have been shown the ultimate mercy and with that mercy comes the justice of God. You are covered over in Christ's sacrifice. The righteous one became cursed and us, cursing ones, became righteous. Let's pray. God, our righteous protector and justifier,
God, we know that you do not remain silent. When you spoke, you made everything out of nothing. When your people were in slavery, destined to die, you spoke and set them free with your mighty hand. When your people turned away from you, you spoke in warning of what follows sin, judgment. When you were needed most to speak at just the right time, you gave your word, the word, Jesus. God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you and we praise you that you are a God that makes promises and a God that keeps them. When the word became flesh, you made clear that you are the God who is worthy of our praise. You did not leave us to be prosecuted by an unrighteous and accusing judge. You have not made our days few and ended our lives. You have not wrecked our lives and our families, wiping us off the earth. You did not take away the many good gifts that all people share. You extended your kindness to us. You did not forget our iniquity. You forgave it. We cursed, you blessed. We clothed ourselves in self-righteousness and sin, and you clothed us in your righteousness and in your perfection. We weighed ourselves down in the chains of disgrace, and you weighed your son with the burden of our sin and a cross. God, you have saved us because of your steadfast love. You have rescued us by your hand and you continue to bless us. God, you deserve every, our every praise and thanks. We cursed you, but your son became a curse for us. We are not condemned to death. We are consigned to forever with you by your side, receiving the fullness of your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for your Spirit that leads us on the way that pleases you, on the way to everlasting life through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him and we praise your name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.